Katie. Thank you for having me today. Welcome. Katie, welcome everybody at home. We're sitting here because this is our first podcast episode that we've done. Yeah, this is pretty exciting actually. I'm kind of hey. nervous. Are you? A little bit. I'm, I'm kind of, I feel actually like super cool right now because I got myself a new t-shirt. You're definitely super cool. I don't right. know where you would have gotten that t-shirt from. Um, so, so, welcome to, are we, let's, we have a very exciting name for our podcast. We do, and it's called... Digging In. Digging with In. With Katie and Dan. With Katie and Dan. Oops. So it's, here it is, uh, podcast episode number one. It's a podcast in which we're going to dive a little deeper into um, topics around gardening, topics around life, topics around sustainability. Yeah, regenerativity, all of the above. farming, uh, health, boom, fitness. Everything you know. comes back to gardening. That's that's the delineation. I think Everything. So. I think so. So we're here because I read a book that inspired a whole bunch of ideas in my head. And I think in articulating what I liked about the book, we might be able to cover off on some of those topics and yep. have some little thought starting conversations and hopefully bring some new topics to light for anyone tuning in. So, so the, the book, yeah, American Grown by Michelle Obama, the first lady, I think it was written back in 2012. So it's been 10 years since this book has been published. And, and what did she do? She actually, Obama got elected and then she decided to make a garden in, at the White House? In the, in, the, in yes. the backyard? her Yes, her husband was elected president, okay. correct. She followed him as first lady <laughs> into the White House, but she had a mission. She kind of was really focusing on a younger generation in America and had identified ways that they were not being that healthy and identified steps that they could take to get healthier. And it was all really rooted around um, a conversation she had with her pediatrician okay. who raised the fact that young kids are coming in now with being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and that's right. which is historically, like an adult yeah an adult right. onset condition that you have to deal with but because yeah. of lack of physical exercise um, malnutrition malnutrition because they're not eating nutrient-dense foods Right. Um, it just kind of spiraled into into this problem. So the pediatrician raised it for Michelle, and she started thinking about not just her family, the health of her family and what she's feeding her family, but all of the families. Um, and I just I you know applaud her for yeah. making such a strong statement and stance on the importance of gardening right. and the importance of eating healthy foods that she dug up or she had somebody dig up part of the south lawn of the White House in order to plant a vegetable garden, which is amazing. Right next to Thomas Jefferson's plot, I think he had some original seeds there or something like that and they were <laughs> growing something way back in the day. But uh, I think this whole, what, what really was um, stood out for me is that this sparked an actual, you know, national conversation about mm -hmm. all these things 
You know, and, and now, ten years later, we're having a not national conversation, <laughs> just you and me. Right, right here. And our lovely friends. All right, so Katie, why do you think it's so important to, to grow our own food? Well, growing our own food is a subsect of it, but I think in general, just growing, um, gardening, is has tangible benefits for us across many things. Uh, physically, just being outside, fresh air, vitamin D, being physical, digging, lifting, whatever it is, you're moving and you're outside and you're just experiencing nature, which is always good for you. Um, mentally, I love being out there and just kind of living in my own head and just letting all of my thoughts go because as I get into my weeding, it's kind of repetitive and it's kind of monotonous and so it just allows me to let go of things and have a little moment to myself unless somebody who's under 12 and came out of my <laughs> body is coming and yelling at me to do something right. i just phase out when i'm out there and so you know half an hour goes by an hour goes by and i it felt like five minutes so it's kind of like a meditation like kind of a it is kind of like yeah. a meditation and then i to have something grow from nothing is right. also kind of cool it gives you that satisfaction that you've done something so what about the health benefits like do you think there's health benefits in, like in the immediacy of growing your own food well the food that's coming out of your garden it's been proven that if you're consuming it within a shorter short amount of time from when it's harvested the nutrient density in the food itself is higher right so if you were to pick an apple in Florida and stick it on a truck and transport it 24 hours in a direction. Right. And then it was to get the... <laughs> How roundabout was I'm that? I'm following it. You're, and then it was to sit on a shelf in like some sort of, I don't know, yeah. supermarket. So each day, right. each hour... And then when you buy it... It's getting less it nutritional value. probably sit on your counter for who knows how long and then so by the time you actually eat it from the time it's plucked from the tree it could be a week or two weeks and you're saying that that's less nutritionally packed than grabbing an apple or a piece of asparagus from the ground and, and eating it that you know within a couple hours yes that's okay. exactly what i'm saying and it's not just me saying it there is a study yep. from uc davis that says and i quote fresh fruits and vegetables may not be consumed for a significant length of time following harvest during which time nutrient degradation may occur. Makes sense. So right. the sooner you can get it into your body from when it came out of the ground, the more nutritious it is. And right. so if you happen to have a garden or a farmer's market nearby right. and you're choosing to eat the produce that you've either grown yourself or somebody local has grown it and sold right. it to you, it will have... Um, more nutrition. More, more yeah. nutrition for you. Not to mention the carbon footprint that it takes to get that apple or piece of whole other can of worms. All yes. the way to, right. So I remember in the book she was uh, talking about victory gardens and about, uh, you know, back in, in uh, World War II, they had to ship out all of the food that was canned and, and preserved to the troops. Right. So the general population was sort of, um, you know, in order to kind of do their part, they needed to grow their own food at home. 
to feed themselves because they couldn't use the canned goods because the canned goods were going away. Yes. Right. Victory Gardens. So, which is, you know, which is kind of what Michelle really took as an idea and put it into her modern context. She had chefs coming and advising her on what should be grown out in her garden that they would want to serve. Some of the things that they took out of the White House garden, the chefs served to dignitaries and heads of state as they were hosted at the White House, which is kind of cool. I think she actually put together a a little uh, package for like Prince Charles and it had like Thomas Jefferson's uh, beans and, you know, things from heirloom seeds. Like historical, yeah, heirloom seeds that she gave to Prince Charles, who then I think grew it in his own, you know, Buckingham Palace maybe somewhere and, and took a photo and sent it to Obama or Michelle or whoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, there you uh, go. You know, it transcends borders. I'm flipping to page 174 and I'm okay. going to read you something that I found fairly alarming. Okay, this piece is actually contributed by Lieutenant General Mark Hurtling of the U.S. Army. Okay. And he wrote, around 2006, we began to see a sharp decrease in physical capability among the young civilians applying to join the army. And then we saw that these recruits were more likely to sustain bone and deep muscle injuries during basic training. We soon made the connection that many of these soldiers had attended elementary and high school in the mid and late 1990s when physical education had been eliminated from the curriculum in many states. Wow. Okay, so not only was their diet bad, but also physical. Less physical. Right. And so now, 20 years later, we're seeing how that impacted them and their bodies. And now we have a whole bunch of recruits entering the army with depleted functioning because of their 20 years ago diet of high... Cheetos. (laughs) Cheetos are good. I love Cheetos. Cheetos I was raised on Cheetos, Pepsi. Were you raised in the 1990s? Yeah, remember Tab? No. Tab. That was good. It was It was a drink. It was a drink, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of remember Tab. Yeah. I don't think it was nutritious. It wasn't at all, but it was delicious. And I was raised on it, and I was probably one of those... I, I would have been probably having stress fractures if I had to join the Army when I was 20 years old. So. He goes on to talk about how 41% of the 130 thousand-ish applicants are overweight or obese, which is alarming. That's like almost half. Half the recruits trying to join the army are overweight or obese because of less physical activity, poor diets. Right. It said here too that they had uh, teeth. They, They needed dental repair before they could actually deploy, I guess their teeth part, partly being like low, low calcium diet, if they were having stress fractures, their teeth needed a lot of work and apparently they spent 100,000 to 300,000 each to repair their, their teeth in this case. So. When all they needed to do was eat some dark green, leafy greens to increase their calcium and have stronger teeth and That's bones. Right. And lay off the Cheetos. If only that was the message being communicated in schools in the 90s. Can you imagine ha- working for your job in the National Park Service and being called to the White House to help Michelle Obama 
harvest her carrots. I think it'd be like a dream come true, right? You're working for the first lady. Like, that'd be pretty amazing. She has, like, the best of the best um, on her team. I mean, the best chefs are making the best food for dignitaries. And, um, and she has, I think, like, three or four people that are really well knowledgeable in, in you know, in the garden uh, that are taking care of it you know, the, the actual grounds themselves, with the garden particularly, and she's hired children to develop the... Uh, I don't think she hired children. She didn't hire them? They, I, I guess they volunteered. So. I don't know. How does that work? But what I, want, what I <laughs> wanted to say was, um, can you imagine coming up from being a farmer and being interested in protecting national parks and resources, and then coming and having a conversation with Michelle about what she wants to plant in her vegetable garden. That'd be amazing. Yeah, it'd be like a dream come true. It's a very interesting way, gardening and planting, to connect people that don't normally, wouldn't have normally come together. Yeah, yeah. For people that don't have backyards and for people that don't have access to a massive vegetable garden, um, there are ways that they can still at least supplement their fresh produce with ones that they're growing at home. And yeah. you, I know you were doing a project around raised beds. I was. Weren't you? Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, I built a few raised beds, which, um, yeah, it was really interesting to learn the craft of how to do it. Yeah. Um, and what was amazing was, I think when I finished one of the beds, I was talking to one of the owners and his wife came home uh, with their baby and just to see the the amount of just like the family unit coming together and this this guy being so excited um, to plant his food for his family yeah and and uh, we showed the bed to to his wife and she was over the moon like she was so thrilled yeah no i am there's lots of friends that i have that don't have access to a yard right and they're putting raised beds on their balconies okay so yep. you know they come in all sizes I'm sure you sure. were building all totally, sizes, yeah. but they're planting some foundational crops. Like they've got their tomatoes, nice. they've got their cucumbers, they've got their herbs all up right. on their balcony. And yes, that's not enough to f feed them and sustain them <laughs> in totality, but even just as a yeah. way to supplement what they are going out and having to buy at the and, grocery and store. And a way to get started too. And a way know. to get started and yeah. fumble through how you do these things. Yeah. Why don't we just think about it from the perspective of this book was published 10 years ago. Right. I remember these discussions happening 10 years ago. Sure. But then the question is, have they continued? And has anything changed in the last 10 years? Has society kind of gone with this as a trend and objective? Or did we all get really excited about it? And everyone has a tomato plant and, you know, Everybody's growing basil in there. Now, you know, they're kind of over it and on to the next. I, really, I don't know. I'm, I'm I curious. Know. I mean, I think the pandemic has really shown us that, uh, you know, the fragility of, of, of the food chain. And I think there's been like an influx of people that are more into gardening, more into farming, at least trying to find out where they're getting their food from. And so, you know, so that they can provide for their family and, yep. you know, their... Yeah. So something that I have heard in the last three years that I had never heard of prior to were community gardens here in Toronto. Um, 
I'd never heard of community gardens. So are you, are you part of a community garden now? I'm not part of a community garden, but my girlfriend is a part of a community garden and she actually kind of spearheaded creating one in her neighborhood. Oh, and wow. it started with her and another neighbor. Um, and now they have, you know, I was out there visiting them last week and they had like seven different families there all doing kind of their own things. I don't know, I just, I feel like access is increasing for everyone to be able to do something, to grow something. Right. And if they don't have it in their house or in their condos or in their apartments, really, they just have to kind of reach out to their community and open their eyes a little bit. And I guarantee there's something. There's so many rooftop gardens, right. actually. This is something yeah. I was reading about. There's interest here in Toronto um, all around pollinators and introducing pollinator gardens to rooftops in the urban dense city. Yeah, a friend of mine does beekeeping on, uh, on her rooftop, which is really interesting as well. And yeah. they're making honey too. My yeah. brother works in an ad agency that has a building that's 40, 40 stories high. And up there, there's three boxes for all of the bees yeah. and they're making their own honey and they're giving it to clients and they've got beautiful packaging and it's just, That's it's awesome. a super cool thing. Eating local honey, it's good for your immune system anyways. And I don't know, there's, I just never heard of any of these things happening in the city 10 yeah. years ago. And so whether that's attributed to the conversations that Michelle Obama started 10 years ago or whether it's the interest from um, environmental groups who are bringing the whole bee crisis to light and people are kind of rallying around that. I don't really care what's motivating everybody, yeah. but I do see that there is an increased interest in, in this category and in this topic and yeah. in all different ages getting involved. And it just excites me and it gives me a little bit of hope that yeah things can be better and that maybe us as a society are not as useless as <laughs> we may look on the outset. Yeah, I, I have hope too. And I was, I was reading about uh, food deserts, like in New Jersey, there's places that actually don't have access to fresh, fresh food. food. So, mm -hmm. I mean, they have more access to Burger King and McDonald's and what have you, but I mean, they actually don't have community gardens. So I think it's, it's a really important conversation to be having in places like New Jersey, for example, where, where fresh food is really scarce, so. That's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. It's just shocking to me. So, I mean, I really hope that, the, you know, this, this conversation spreads like, you know, an epidemic across the nation. Everybody, and, go find your community gardens. Right. You know what I love too is actually taking uh, uh, my partner, Nicole, she has uh, two kids, John and Sebastian, and Sebastian planted his first strawberry plant yesterday. He actually grew it at school from a seed. In the little cups? In the little the, cups. Yeah, I remember so doing those. It started to sprout and I was like, uh, Sebastian, we got to plant this. And uh, his grandma, uh, or Nana, actually came home and planted it with him, which is really, really cool. So I have four kids and I'm going to show you the contrast between myself and now my four children in the hopes that somebody can take an inkling of, of, hopefulness out of that. So 
I never planted anything until five years ago. My mom is a great gardener, but I just was never included in any of that. And so I came to be 35 years old and I'm learning how to garden. And it was a lovely eye-opening experience and one that I'm really glad that I participated in. But what I wanted to say is my four kids, who are all under the age of 12, um, they are always out there gardening with me. So from five years ago, I had a, an eight-year-old at the high end of my ages, and they were out there helping me weed, helping me water, and then it kind of got their interest peaked, and now they come out and they're suggesting to me what they want to be planting, they're looking through seed catalogs when I have seed catalogs arriving in the mail. It's just the most bizarre contrast and the only difference between myself growing up and them growing up is me including them in that process. And they genuinely have an interest in something that I had zero interest in until I was a 35-year-old adult. And I just love that they're so into it at such a young age and it gives me hope that they'll continue and somehow that will translate into you know a beautiful lush symbiotic relationship with growing I don't know I'm hopeful I am too I mean I think this is like an ongoing conversation that we need to have and maybe have uh some guests on and, and maybe bring some, you know, people that are making it happen, maybe even some kids that are really, you know, engaged in mm -hmm. gardening, that kind of thing. There's clearly lots that you and I can sit here and talk about. This was fun. This is awesome. Thank you for yeah. coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I think we should do more of these. I, I feel like more, we could yeah. keep talking. Yeah. I think there's lots of people that can add to these discussions. I think so. And I think there's probably lots more topics that will just come out as we keep going. So I think we should try to do that. I think that sounds like a great idea. Okay. High five. High five. Nope. That was bad. Look at the elbow. There we go. Episode one done. So what do you think Trump did with the garden when he was elected? What do you think of him there? I kind of, I would like to hope that he and Melania go out and weed on a Saturday together. <laughs> but I don't think they did. There's probably a lot of weeds in that. I don't know, maybe it's all just overgrown now or? No, Joe and Jill are there now. What do you think they? Oh. Definite gardeners. Okay.